believer if I tried. So maybe it would be, I'm a believer, I wouldn't leave him if I tried. Amen? Because it would be about Jesus Christ. Are you a believer? And are you a true believer? Because many days, uh, or many times, we see people that say, I'm a believer, but yet they don't really look like a believer, act like a believer. How do we know if they're a believer? Are they doing it secretly? Is it a covert operation? What about a true believer? Maybe we need to say, are you a true believer? And many of you are here today. You're like, wow, you know, if anything, that's a, that's a being recorded in heaven today. Amen? You know, not that those that aren't don't love God. But I want you to know that you were here, you were in town, you were honoring God today. You were seeking first His kingdom. What about a true believer? How do we know that, that there's a true believer? Many times when people say, come to Christ, come to Christ, God is it, He's the answer, man, everything's wonderful, it's good, life is good, just come to Him, it's going to be all right. And then you do and you find out it's difficult, don't you? You find out that there's some things that you got to go through. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the joys of being a true believer. Say joy. joy. It's a joy, the joys of being a true believer. And you're going to look at this, you're going to think, well, maybe that's not a joy. But let's get into this. I want, to, I want to talk with you about the book of Philippians. We're going to read through this. But first of all, I want you to know that Paul was writing this from prison. And a lot of times in, in our circles, we talk about being in prison, and maybe you have been in prison for whatever reason. Paul was not in prison because he committed murder. Paul was not in prison because he sold drugs. Paul was not in prison because he beat his wife. Come on, somebody. Paul was not in prison for those reasons. Paul was in prison because he was preaching the good news. Say good news. See, what the world is looking for is good news. We can turn on the news. You can see CNN. You can watch Fox. You can watch anything else. And you're going to see how difficult the economy is. How, how things are just really bad. How it's really difficult now. Oh, you know, are we even going to make it? Are we even going to be able to survive? Are we even going to be able to get through the next day or the week? And you go to bed and you lay your head down and you just say, Wow, you know, all these things. It's just really difficult. We're in a difficult time. How many of you know and realize, maybe you don't, that you've not gone through anything compared to what Paul's gone through. You've not gone through anything compared to what Jesus Christ himself went through. So I believe God is really bringing a shaking within the body of Christ for us to be, con- be counted as true believers, as us to be able to stand up and say, no matter what. Wouldn't you say that Paul was a true believer? Yeah. I read a book one time, and I would encourage you to get this if you can get it. It's called... Um, uh, liars, lunatic, or Lord. And it was by Josh McDowell. And he refutes why people would say Jesus is who he is. Would all the disciples and those people die and take this to their grave if Jesus wasn't Lord? If it was just a scam, if it was just a scheme, if it was just one of those things, then sooner or later, 30, 40 years later, that comes out. How many of you know they're able to solve murders because somebody just before they go to their grave, they say, you know what, I want to confess to this crime. Are you with me? They haven't been able to solve it, but now, they've, now they're able to solve it because somebody confessed that. But the disciples took this to their grave. Everything that they saw, everything that they did, because they knew that Jesus was Lord. Jesus is not a liar. They weren't liars. They weren't lunatics. They weren't just crazy people thinking that, you know, they're just following after Christ. And he's laying hands and, and casting out demons and, and healing eyes and, and lames, lame, lame men are walking again. But it was the true thing of what was taking place. They were true believers. And I think we're coming into a place where we need to look at true believers. 
So let me give you a little, little background on the church of, of Philippi and the Philippians. It's the Roman colony that is Philippi, which is actually modern-day northern Greece. If you would look at it in the Scriptures, you're going to see it as Macedonia. Uh, the thriving, it's a thriving commercial center. It was the dividing point between Asia and Europe at that time. There was a, a hustling, bustling, robust economy that was taking place. It was, the church was mostly Gentile believers, meaning non-Jewish believers. And Paul, when he was in jail, he was writing to this. He was addressing not only the body of, non, of believers, but he was also addressing the congregation of the church. He was also addressing the leaders, all right? Let's just read Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to read the whole chapter. Is that all right? I didn't put it up there. If you've, got a, if you've got a Bible, share with somebody else or just listen. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice." Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, and that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. 
Only con- conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So if we're talking about the joys of being a true believer, I want to talk to you about suffering. I want to talk about suffering. It's not something we like to talk about. It's not something we say, you know what? Oh, you know, you'll have a little difficulty when you follow Christ, uh, but it'll be okay. There are times where you can see where Paul was talking about the suffering that he went through, the difficult times. He said, you know what, I'm in jail, and I'm at a place where I could, I'm, I'm ready to die. I could die, I could go on and be with the Lord, or I could stay alive, are you with me? And it would be good for you. Let's focus just on a couple verses. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Do you see that? His circumstances turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. Say good news. It's the good news. See, you've got good news. You've got good news about Christ. You've got good news about the kingdom of God. You've got good news about where you're at. Because we are not at those that don't have Christ. They're not at the same level that we are. I'm sorry about that. But they they don't have the peace of God. We should be operating in the peace of God. That's within our lives. So it's about the good news. So he was saying that. He was like, hey, you know what? They're they're, they're not, this this is going to progress the gospel of the kingdom of God. Go ahead. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. How many of you felt like that, seriously, that you've been persecuted because you've been a Christian? Anybody felt that way? Just raise your hand. A few. Okay. Anybody else? Go ahead. Leave your hands up if you feel like that. There's times where, you know what, just because I'm a believer, that people will persecute you. Out of ignorance, not knowing, or jealousy. I, I don't know what it is, but they'll persecute you. But look what it says right there. It says, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. In other words, because Paul was incarcerated for preaching the good news, proclaiming the the kingdom of God, preaching and proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. He was put in prison. And others were saying he was put in prison, and because he's in prison, I think I'm going to speak up. Because if Paul can speak up, why can't I speak up? Come on, somebody. See, what happens is the enemy has tried to silence the church. He's tried to silence true believers from being able to speak forth the things of God. Beginning to say, hey, you know what? We've got a difference. There's something different. There is something different when you become a believer in Christ. When you become a true follower in Christ. So he was imprisoned. And in the middle of being imprisoned, what happened to the gospel of the good news? It advanced. Say advance. 
In advance, I'm here to tell you, in difficult times throughout the Bible, the Word of God, it continues to advance. So we might have difficult times in this economy. And with the more people that try to come against the Word of God and Christianity and try to take crosses off of this and crosses over there, and you can't pray here and you can't pray there, I'm here to tell you, if we will be true believers like Paul was, we will stand up and we will begin to advance the kingdom of God. Amen. So I want you to understand today that they began to preach or talk about the Word of God or to talk about Christ without fear. Paul realized that his current situation, that his current circumstances were not as important as the results. You might go through some things, but what are the results that's going to take place? We might go through some budget cuts, but what's going to be the results that, we take, that come to take place? There are situations in your life, in the middle of those situations, are you advancing the gospel? Is there indecisions in your life that you'll still talk about God or do you be silenced? What about financial difficulties? What about family conflicts? Do we run to God or do we run to something or somebody else? What about church conflicts? What about loss of job? Do we run to God or do we run about to somebody else? Let's look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sakes, not Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also what? To suffer for His sake. Everybody, to suffer for His sake. God's not just wanting us to suffer for no reason at all. There will be some times where you might suffer through some things. There might be some difficult times that you might, you know, have to tighten your belt a little bit more, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But Paul, Paul, considered it a privilege to suffer for Christ. He's like, that's what it's all about. Because you understand, this was the beginning of things. And when things start, it's like plowing a ground that is hard. You know, it's one thing, Terry, to be able to plow a field that has been plowed, you know, twice a year. But it's another thing to take a ground that has not been plowed for 20 years and begin to put a disc down and break the dirt for planting. So that's what Paul and them were doing. They were, they were suffering for Christ's sake. And if you're a true believer, the truth is that we will have to suffer at times for Christ's sake. You know what? Our, our normal nature doesn't think it's a privilege to do that. We don't think, well, it's a great privilege for me to suffer for God. Yet, when we suffer, if we suffer faithfully for Christ, our actions, our word, our message... Not only will we be advancing the kingdom of God, we will be advancing the good news, but others will see you going through that situation and say, look at how he's doing that. How's he doing that? Well, I think I'm going to do that now. I'm going to step up and and proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm going to step up and proclaim the good news. I'm going to step up and tell people about Jesus Christ. I'm going to step up and tell people there is a way, and it's with God. And and if we don't have God, we're not going to be in the way. Come on, somebody. So as we begin to look at this, we see that. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, They went on their way in the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the shame of His name. And that word shame literally means to be despised. To be despised. 
because they were talking about Christ. People didn't like them because you're a believer. People didn't like you. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you. You ever notice that? You think, well, maybe the people will like me. No, there, there's going to be some people that don't like you. To be suffering for his shame can be to be dishonored or unhonored. Let me give you some benefits to suffering. Let me give you these different benefits. There are benefits in the midst of our suffering. There are benefits in the midst of our discomfort. Number one, the one benefit would, would that literally be that it takes your eyes off of your earthly comfort. You're not so concerned about just yourself. Another one, it would be that it weeds out superficial believers. And when things get tough, you'll find out who's really a true believer or not. Because when things get tough, those that are not a true believer, they'll quit. Hello? It's no different than a ball team that's striving to win a prize, that they're looking for the Super Bowl or the NBA championship or the Stanley Cup or to win an Olympic gold, whatever it might be. If it gets tough on them, forget it. I'm going to go back to eating donuts and drinking milk. I'm not going to make the sacrifice that I've got to make in order to get there. So we have to understand that this is a joy. (laughs) This is a joy. So we'd be able to see that it weeds out superficial believers. Another one is it strengthens faith of those who endure. And that's you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you. You mean I can get stronger? Absolutely. You, you, we've heard the saying. We kind of flippantly say it. Whatever, if it, it doesn't make you, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. If it don't kill you, you'll be stronger. And we just kind of flippantly say that. But there's actually some truth. We don't want you to be killed because of it. But when you go through what God wants you to, 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 to begin to be made into an earthen vessel worthy of honor, then what's going to happen is it's going to encourage faith. Say faith. You've got to have some faith. And it's going to help others around you in the midst of what you went through. When I went through a difficult place in my life back in North Carolina, I watched people, I didn't know they were watching me then, but they were watching me and they were watching to see how I handled that situation. They were watching to see how I handled that, 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 that catastrophe that was going on in my life of whether I'd go back to the clubs, I'd go back buying and supplying, whether I'd go back and, you know what I mean, to the alcohol and the drugs and those things and the wine and the women and the booze and all the other stuff, would I go back to where I'd been delivered out of? even in the midst of that difficult time, and it strengthened others. I had somebody come up to me and said, I watched you go through it, and because you went through it, and what God did to restore it, it built faith in me. And he figured, I figured if if God can do it for you, he can do it for me. Can I get an amen? amen? So it strengthens the faith of those who endure. In the midst of enduring, in the midst of suffering, you're going to endure. Number four, it serves as an example to others who may follow us. Paul said, imitate me. Paul wasn't saying, why, because I'm Paul, imitate me. He was saying, go through what I went through, and you're going to get stronger. Paul went through some stuff now. And when I look at him and he says, imitate my faith, imitate the faith, because he was always pointing us to Jesus. He was always pointing us to Jesus. As you read through that, he's always pointing us to Jesus. Philippians 1.18. Let's just take a look at that scripture. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. 
Man, Paul was in the midst of suffering and he's saying, hey, you know what? There's some preaching Christ with a different motive than what I preach Christ with. But if they're preaching it out of a bad motive or they're preaching it out of a good motive, how many of you know Christ is, Christ is proclaimed? And that was a good thing. Paul says, although I'm in the midst of going through this place, I'm watching the gospel, the good news. I'm watching it begin to advance. I'm watching things begin to change. I'm watching things begin to go forward. No matter what I was going through, he got to put a smile on his face. And there were times, I'm sure, in the midst of his imprisonment, he didn't want to put a smile on his face, but he did it anyways. He showed the whole Praetorian guards to be able to look at him and say, look at this guy. He's going through. There's something that he's got different than I got, and I got to want to get what he's got because he's going through you might have been suffering james knew a lot about suffering don't you think james knew a lot about suffering because james says this in chapter one verses two through four he says consider here it is consider it all joy my brethren (laughs) i'm like james what a nut huh He loved the Lord. You know he loved the Lord. And in the midst of what he'd been through, in the midst of what he had seen his brothers, his posse, his his friends go through, he saw, you know, Peter, he saw James and John and and, and Luke and Matthew. I mean, he saw all his, uh, his posse, you know what I mean, going through some difficult places. And he says, consider it all joy. There are times where I can get so heavy on the things that is going on in my life. There's times that I can be so looking at the negative and not focusing on the positive. Then I come across the scripture. <laughs> I say, there's James. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that your testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. The testing of my faith is going to produce something good in me. Oh, you didn't hear me today. The testing of your faith is going to produce what? Something good or something bad in you? It's good. It's all good. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all good. I mean, what? tell them. Say, neighbor, what you're going through, it's all good. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. Amen? I mean, that's a word for somebody today that says, wait a minute, I'm in a difficult place. James knew a lot about suffering. He said, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This word perfect, because sometimes we think, I can't be perfect. This word perfect, if you will look at it in the Greek, it means mature. Mature. Say mature. What does suffering do to my life? If I handle it properly, I will become mature. Used to coach a baseball team. We ran up a team in Whiteville, North Carolina. They would always win, 13, 14-year-old guys. They would always win. They won the tournament every single year as far as I remember. And one year, we had them. It was getting late. Last, last, last game of the tournament, and we had them. I mean, we were, we were toasting them boys. We were in a dog fight. And we were about four runs up going into the fifth inning, and it started raining. And we ended up finishing that game at 1 o'clock in the morning. 1 o'clock in the morning. We're out there playing baseball. And the, and the, and the top of the six, the wheels came off. And they scored four runs and tied it. I had talked to one of their coaches. And he said, you know what we do to our kids? He said, we hit them 75 ground balls a day. 
We're talking 13, 14-year-old kids. 75 ground balls a day. A third baseman, 75 ground balls. 75 ground balls. Do you know that there was probably no way that any way we would hit the ball to the third base that they probably hadn't seen how to field it? Professional athletes go through that regimen. They will go time after time after time again. You know what it does? It, it, it Does it make them perfect? I'm talking about maturing them. It brings them to a place of maturing. We come to a place when we suffer. As true believers, we're going to suffer for some things in Christ. Sometimes we suffer for some things and decisions that we make, that we blame it on God, or maybe give God the credit for it, and that He probably doesn't deserve the credit. But Paul, again, was suffering because he was talking about Jesus. He was talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. He was talking about Jesus Christ himself. So a joy of a true believer is suffering. Say suffering. Let me give you another one. Joy of a true believer is not only suffering, but a joy. And James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Rejoice. Joy literally means to rejoice. Yeah, woohoo! I rejoice. Yeah, baby. Yeah, I rejoice. That's what he's talking about. But it's also there's joy. There's joy in serving. There's joy in serving. Absolutely. Not only can I have joy in suffering, I can rejoice in the midst of what I'm going through because I know I'm going to come out on the other end and I'm going to come out better than when I went in. But there's also joy in serving. Let's take a look at that. See, many people, many Christians, even today, they live to only make a good impression on others or just to please themselves. But a selfish ambition... A vain conceit, it brings discord. Paul stressed spiritual unity. When he was talking to the church at Philippi, he said, there is spiritual unity. He says, I want you to love one another. Right here, it says, I will hear that you will, are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the good news. And I have to say, there are times my heart is so warmed by you guys because you're striving for the faith of the good news. And he was saying to that to this church, and he was saying, be in one spirit, be in one purpose, have one mind, have one goal, and that's to advance the kingdom of God in the earth so we can see a culture change for Christ, so we can see people that come out of darkness into the light, people that are able to have victory over what the enemy has brought against them. Time and time again, our goal, our purpose uh, is one time to say, hey, I want you to live a glorious and victorious life and to be able to complete what it is that God has for you in your life. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's our goal. That's our purpose. And as a, as a body of Christ, as Living Word Fellowship, it makes me warm to be able to know that there's times you're going through some suffering. In the midst of your suffering, we, we cry with you. We weep with you, Irma. We rejoice with you, Irma. We, we, that's what it says. We weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. See, when we work together for caring for people, dealing with the problems, then their problem becomes our problem. And how many of you know when that happens, we are quicker to get a solution. And we can show them as an example of Christ, of putting Christ first. Of putting Christ first. Jesus gave up his rights. He gave up his rights in order to serve God and to serve others. 
Philippians chapter 2. Let's just read through this. So, yeah, we've got enough time today. We're going to read through verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any infection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Ooh, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If we lived a life that, Sean, you're more important than I am. Jody, you're more important than I am. Irma, you're more important than I am. If we lived a life of humility, I'm not talking about false humility, but actual humility that where we can put others first before us, don't you think we could accomplish some tremendous things for God? Go ahead. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. When that says he emptied himself, it literally means he made himself of no reputation. If you're concerned only about your reputation, Paul said he isn't worried about his reputation. Paul used to be a a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was well educated. He would persecute Christians. He was being sent out, dragging people out of churches, out of synagogues. He would kill them. That was a reputation that Paul had. Now he's a believer for Christ. He didn't worry about his reputation before. I think maybe maybe that puffed him up. But when he became a believer in Christ, a true believer, he wasn't worried about his reputation. What about your reputation, pastor? What about your reputation? My reputation needs to be only in God's eyes. What's our reputation in God's eyes? You might have a great reputation among people. That's wonderful. But what about when they decide to do something that is contradictory to the word of God and it puts you at a place where you've got to stand on God's side or man's side? Where will you stand? Will you be more concerned about your reputation? That was the attitude that Jesus Christ had. He basically came to an empty place. He came of no reputation. It's like, you know what, God? This is what I was sent to do, and I'm going to do it. When you become to the place that you are sent to do that, and you know that's what's inside you, then you won't worry about your reputation. You'll worry about fulfilling the plan and purpose that God has for your life. Go ahead. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Who receives the glory? According to this scripture, when Jesus does this, he says, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus was humbling himself and saying, I'm going to do God, not my will, but your will. Not what I want to do, because this is really not what I want to do. But God, this is your will. Can we come to that place? He was a servant enough to serve others. Think about that. That's really sobering. 
Could we come to the place that you could give your life for somebody? Wouldn't it be easy? You'd give your life for your wife. You'd give your life for your husband. You'd give your life for your children. Come on, somebody, we'd do that. Come on, let's be honest, wouldn't we? Well, some of us. Well, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> Some days when she teaches, when, she, uh, when she's mean to me, uh, no, I wouldn't give my life to her. How many of you mothers would give your life for your children? Can I get a hand? All right, that's good. I'm not going to ask the fathers. I know the fathers would do the same. But would you give your life for somebody that you don't even know? Would you serve God to give your life for somebody that you don't even know. What about a generation that wasn't even born yet? Do you see how much of a servant Jesus was? That he gave his life? That's the attitude that we need to have. That's the attitude of Christ. That I can give my life for somebody that I don't even know. Generations. Jesus gave his life for generations. We'd had to have that same attitude in ourselves. Christ's attitude, you know what his, his attitude was? Forgiveness. Check this out. He, he lowered the paralytic that was on the mat. He said, you're forgiven. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, you're forgiven. The woman that anointed his feet, he operated in forgiveness. Peter denied Jesus three times and he forgave him. The criminal on the cross, he forgave him. What about when he was on the cross and the people that came up? And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They said, crucify him. And Jesus said, I'm giving you forgiveness. When you begin to have joy in serving, those things don't become a burden. When you begin to have joy in serving, then your attitude changes. It's higher than what you used to have. When you begin to have joy in serving, you begin to walk and live and be that true believer that's actually living the Word of God. And it doesn't become a burden, but it becomes an honor. When you begin to have joy in serving, it's all about Christ who lives in me. It's not about what somebody thinks or what somebody's going to act like or what what will my reputation be to them. It's about saying, this is my reputation and it's in Christ. So when you knock on somebody's door and somebody says, where are they going to that house? And you give them some food or even on Monday nights, people come in and we serve them and help them and give them food and meet the needs within the community. It is not about our reputation. It's about exalting the Savior. It's about saying, you are God. You are Lord. You are King. It's not about this church. It's not about that thing. It's about Him being the thing that it matters. And Jesus said, i got to have that joy in the midst of serving. I will serve you no matter what. And He served up all generations to come. Can I get an amen? Somebody, I don't know about you, but it gets me fired up and charged up in this place. Somebody needs to give a, a shout unto the Lord of the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you begin to believe the Word of God. You know what happens? You start serving with a great attitude. You begin to think all things are possible. You begin to think all things are possible. So no matter what comes against you, you know that you can be more than a conqueror. 
No matter what, what curveball is being thrown to you, you know you've got to step to the plate and throw your hands towards first base and put that curveball right out in right field. There's got to be techniques. There's got to be ways. There's got to be with the word that we can say, God, in the midst of this, I'm going to serve and I'm going to have joy in the midst of serving. Let's look at verses 12 through 18. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Your lights. Turn to your neighbor and say, your light. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, turn on your light. <laughs> so there's places you're going to go in, you're going to need to turn on that light. And you know what that light is? That light is the word. It's a light, it's a lamp unto my feet. It'll shine your path where you're going. It'll bring you into places where the darkness will, has to be dispelled by the light because I got the word that can continue to shine the light. Go ahead. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So Paul says, why don't you guys rejoice? Why don't you share your joy with me? Well, you know, things just aren't going the way I really thought they were going to go. I thought by now this would happen and this would happen and that would be and we'd be here and we'd be there and we'd be all these other things. What about would you rejoice with me? Paul says, I'm in the middle of the prison, but I'd like for you guys to rejoice with me. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching about Christ. I'm talking to people about Christ. I'm teaching about Jesus. But yet I'm, I'm keeping a good attitude. Are you with me? I'm in the middle of suffering, but yet I know it's being advanced. I know I'm coming to a place where I'm coming to a place where we can begin to, to say, wait a minute, something's going on. And Paul's saying, hey, would y'all rejoice with me? Would y'all just give me a shout? Would y'all just have some fun? Would you smile in the midst of what you're doing? How many of you know a task, a job, when you're serving, you can either serve with a good attitude or you can serve with a bad attitude? Your attitude determines your altitude, how high you're going to go. You know what I mean? And I'm going to have a good attitude and I'm going to serve the things of God and enjoy what I'm doing. Even some of the worst tasks that I've had to do, I just kind of put a smile on my face. If you've ever shoveled hog manure, you put a smile on your face. Hello? And Paul was in the midst of this, was saying, Hey, look, y'all, I've been shoveling some hog manure. Y'all been shoveling some hog manure. Can we rejoice in the midst of this hog manure shoveling stuff? Can we have a good time? Can we enjoy ourselves on where we're going? Let's, let's stop being so those heavy, burdened-down believers. Let's enjoy. Have joy in the midst of suffering. You know why? Because I'm a true believer. Say true believer. Say it again. Say it again. I'm a true believer. I'm a true believer. But you know what? I thought everything was supposed to be hunky-dory when you gave your life to Christ and everything was just good like a magic wand. That's not the Bible I read. We go through. We got to go through some difficult times. So be it. Bring on the difficult times. Christ had the attitude of serving you. 
Will you serve others? Will you come to a place where you can say, you know what? I'm going to have enjoy, joy in teaching the kids. I'm going to have joy in ushering. I'm going to have joy in audio, video, or sound, or feeding ministry, or whatever it might be. I want to have some joy. Amen. Let's enjoy it when we do it. If we can't do it and we can't have joy with it, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Because there are blessings from being a true believer. There is joy in the midst of suffering. I think we call it, the world may call it, look for what, the silver lining in the dark cloud or something? Yeah. And we can have joy in the midst of serving. I don't believe that the disciples that were following Jesus for two and a half, three years, in the mornings got up and said, I don't know, man, I'm just kind of wore out from feeding that 15,000 people yesterday. How about you, Paul? Or Peter? Because Paul wasn't there, but... Peter, how about you? Well, yeah, I was, I'm kind of tired too. I think they might have got up and said, they didn't even, it was done. Where are we going today, Jesus? What are we doing today, Jesus? What's up today, Jesus? You want me to get the boat today? Tell me what you need done today. I'm going to do something. What do you want today, Jesus? What can I do for you today, Jesus? There's people all around you. I'm going to be the bodyguard. Is Jesus. He's coming through. Watch out. Coming through. Back off. Back off. He's coming through. And all of a sudden, the woman with the issue of blood comes in and gets a hold of the garment of his, of his cloth. And, and, and all of a sudden something happens. I believe the disciples had joy in serving. I believe Peter had joy in serving. I believe John had joy in serving. I believe Matthew had joy in serving. I believe Luke, when he served Paul, and he served Paul, I believe he had joy in the missions trips that he went on to with Paul. I believe Barnabas had joy in serving. Even John Mark got fed up with it one time and just quit. Said, I'm going. But you see, he came back to it. Because Paul was in prison and he says, hey, why don't you do me a Why don't you bring John Mark too? I love him. He's got joy in serving. Matthew had joy in serving. Andrew, he had joy in serving. He had joy in serving. What about James? We know James. James writes about having joy in the midst of difficult times. He writes about having joy. Rejoice with me. Have some joy in the midst of my serving. Let me give you two scriptures that, that you can just take with you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Jesus said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to what? Be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for you and me. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, it's the joy of the Lord that is my strength. So in the midst of suffering, no matter what you're going through now, no matter what's going on in your heart, no matter what's taking place behind closed doors, no matter what's taking place in your lives, the difficult area that you may be in, find the joy in the midst of it. No matter what's going on with health issues, no matter what's going on with financial issues, no matter what's going on with issues to soon see the Lord, no matter what's going on in issues in your life, you can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a key for us finding strength 
in the joy of the Lord. A true believer finds strength in the joy of the Lord. A true believer finds joy in the midst of our suffering. A true believer can can be like a time X watch, take a licking and keep on ticking. It'd be like that Energizer Bunny, just keeps on going and going and going and going and boom, 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 boom. We don't run out. You're going to have difficulty. That's life. But it's how you take that and the attitude in which you take it in that'll bring you joy in your life. Stand to your feet this morning. Are you suffering for Christ?